0: Hello, this is Professor Leslie Garfield-Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today, I'm speaking with Professor Luis Chiesa about justification and self-defense. episode I speak with Professor Luis Ciesa of the University of Buffalo School of Law where he is a professor, director of the Criminal Law LLM program, and director of the Buffalo Criminal Law Center. He's a nationally recognized expert on criminal law and the difference between justification and necessity. You want to listen to the end of the discussion where he nicely analyzes how to answer a question on an exam dealing with self-defense. But we would begin with understanding the difference between necessity and justification. Can you quickly explain the difference between necessity and justification
1: yeah so so i mean it's 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 it, this can be a little bit confusing because especially the model penal code calls uh, you know, to, there's section on necessity, uh, lesser evils, which is 3.02 of the model penal code. Uh, I think the, the title of that section is justification dash lesser evils. Mm-hmm. So, so it, 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 sort of like implica- it implies that they're the same. But in general, at least how it's, uh, often used in the literature and sometimes in the case law, uh, justification is more of an umbrella category that includes certain kinds of dissensus and excludes others. So in general, justification, uh, at least in the sense that I use it and, and, and many scholars and, again, some courts do, justification uh, is a kind of the sense in which the defendant uh, concedes that he or she uh, engaged in conduct that satisfies the offense element, uh, but nevertheless, because of the presence of certain justifying circumstances, the conduct is not wrongful so Mm. so the so the defense ends up uh revealing that the conduct isn't even truly illegal uh it's permissible and uh uh
0: so i i shot you but it was okay to shoot you because you were going to shoot me first so i commit the elements of homicide but the law says you did it but we you were justified, so we're not going to punish you. Is that correct? Exact. Okay. So.
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's a, so, for example, if you take the model penal code's homicide definition, you uh, let's say murder on the model penal code is purposely or knowingly killing a human being. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're if you're calling to shoot me, and I shoot you, I mean, I am purposely killing you. I do want to kill you, but right. I am I, I am justified pursuant to self-defense. And so that kind of killing, it's not only one in which we don't punish the the person who kills in self defense, but it's even more, it's even stronger than that. Not only do we punish you, do we not punish you? But also we believe that what you did is not even unlawful, right? You have a right. Justifications give you rights to engage in conduct. They compare this to say an insane offender, right? Mm-hmm. When you're insane and you kill someone, believing that that person is an alien mm-hmm. who's going to take over the world. Uh, but the person's actually an innocent person like you or you know or me. Uh, in that case, the killing by the insane offender is not justified. right? You can't say that the insane offender, has a right to killing innocent person. Right. Now nevertheless, we excuse him, so that's the, the other category of defense that we call excuse. Mm-hmm. We excuse him because in spite of the fact that the conduct is technically unlawful. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact it's so unlawful that in many states it gives rights to tort liability. Right? Mm-hmm. So insane offenders are liable in tort in mm-hmm. many places. So so that's generally the distinction. Justification is a defense that in which we conclude that you had a right Mm -hmm. to engage in the conduct that you engaged in because it's not unlawful, all things being considered. Whereas excuses like insanity or defenses where you don't have a right to engage in the conduct, what you did is technically wrong and actually against the law, but we decide not to punish you because for compassion or lack of culpability or what have you.
0: That makes perfect sense. Wonderful. All right. So tell me about justification and particularly self-defense. Okay, so 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 so
1: self-defense, uh, as, as, as we just pointed out, is one of these defenses that that we call justifications, uh, which means that the actor uh, is is does not act wrongfully when he kills in self-defense or when he acts in self-defense in general. And I guess the, the, for me, the best way of, of talking about self-defense is is by looking uh, at 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 what I think are the three basic elements, which are you know the the imminence requirement, the the uh, reasonableness requirement and and some kind of lax requirement of proportionality. Uh, but I guess before we m- jump into discussing the requirements in general, uh, I like to think of self-defense as the use of force to protect one's own interests or the interests of another from a wrongful attack. Okay. So I, I guess I, I guess the way I define it actually includes not only self-defense but also defense of others, okay. uh, which is sort of like a species of the general uh you know justification of, of of defense of of one or defense of others yeah so so that in general I think is, is you know that's my working definition, but I think the, the 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 issues that sometimes trip up students and practitioners have to do with the specific elements imminence. Uh, reasonableness and 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 proportionality so i mean if it's okay with you i guess we can go through the different elements or requirements and see what are the problem problem areas in each one for each one of these elements
0: yeah that's exactly what i want to do but before we get started i have a question with respect to defense of self versus so so defending myself versus say defending my daughter are the mm-hmm. rules different when i'm defending myself Versus when I'm defending a third party, or is it the same level of reasonableness or expectation? Yeah, et yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. That's a, that's a great question, and 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 it's actually one in which I believe the last time I looked at this question that there is a split. In, in the literature and in the case law. So so as you as you suggest in the very question, uh a central element of self-defense is, is reasonableness. There has to be the reasonable belief that you're under attack. Mm-hmm. And that reasonable belief is what authorizes the use of defensive force. In the context of defense of oneself in America, it's clear that we only require that the belief we be reasonable. We do not require that the belief be correct. Okay. and uh, and and that's an important distinction that often trips up people. so, so say that uh, that I believe that John is is just pulled a gun a, at me and I then pull out my gun and kill John. But it turns out, you know it wasn't a real gun, it was a toy gun, you know, or it was it was something else that I confused with a gun. In, in that case, I'm actually not really. Under attack, um, my life isn't really in danger because it's a toy gun. It was a joke, a right. bad joke. but but if my belief that it was a gun is reasonable, then the killing is justified uh, in self-defense, under you know the the basic sort of common law approach to self-defense. And in general, I believe in every state in America. So mm-hmm. so so what we ask then is whether the belief that your life is in danger, say, is reasonable, not whether it's actually accurate or correct. But in the context of the sense of others or, right. you know, third party, say it's your daughter, in some states, they do say that the belief has to be right, right. So it doesn't suffice for the belief to be reasonable. It actually has to be the case that the other person was justified in, 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 in using force in self-defense and that you accurately perceived it. So, so I, I guess the short, the, 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 the long story short, is that, at least as far as I've surveyed the law, there's a lack of clarity regarding when it comes to defending a third party, Mm -hmm. whether reasonably believing that the third party is in danger is enough or whether you actually need that belief to be accurate, that the third party must really be in danger. And that's the only case in which you can act in defense of others.
0: And, And to follow up on that, when you say reasonableness, do you mean objectively reasonable or subjectively reasonable? Yeah. So, so
1: uh, again, you know, uh, great question. I sort of think that you've taught criminal law uh, multiple <laughs> times. <laughs> so, uh, by, by the way, are you still teaching criminal law? I am or? not
0: teaching criminal law anymore, but okay. it's ingrained in my head after too many years. So, of yeah, course, yeah. but you of know course, this better than yeah. I do. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so, so, so great question. The answer, I think the short answer is the, 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 the belief has to be objectively reasonable, not mm-hmm. subjectively reasonable, mm-hmm. and uh, I think the case that best illustrates this is, you know, the New York case, people be Getz, and the Getz case, you know, as, as many uh students and, and practitioners who recall you have the subway vigilante who shoots and and, 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 and harms uh, quite severely some uh, uh I think it was like five African Americans teens right. in the New York in the New York City subway. And and basically the issue in the case was that Getz was arguing the defendant was arguing that he believed that he uh, he was about to be mugged by these kids. So the kids approach him in the subway and ask him for five dollars. They say, "Give me five dollars." He thinks this is the beginning of a uh, mugging, according to you know his story, and uh, and then he claims that he shoots in in self defense to prevent the robbery. and And then the question on appeal is is whether Getz's belief uh, has to be uh reasonable in an objective sense or, or whether it suffices that his belief is reasonable to him in light of his past experience, because it turns out that Getz was previously assaulted and and of course New York City was a, a considerably more dangerous place than it is now. Right. So 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 basically the question in Getz was does the belief that you're about to be attacked to trigger the, the justification of self-defense, does that have to be objectively reasonable or subjectively reasonable? Gets what's arguing, uh, subjectively reasonable, reasonable to him. But the New York Court of Appeals eventually says, no, that's wrong. The belief has to be objectively reasonable. And, mm-hmm. and, and this actually follows, even though the court doesn't explain it this way, but it follows from the, the concept of justification itself. Okay. If, if, if to act in self-defense is to be justified, meaning that you're doing the right thing or the permissible thing, that you're not behaving unlawfully, justification, right, having a right to do something ha- has to be grounded on objective facts that, that the general population can perceive to be relevant to establishing the correctness of your conduct. So if you say that it's entirely subjective as gets Uh, was saying in his case, then what prevents us from saying, well, what about the reasonable insane person or the reasonable schizophrenic or the reasonable coward or the reasonable... And then eventually you start watering down reasonableness so much to include so many subjective facets of a person's being and existence that the standard... Loses, loses the very nature of reasonableness, which, which, which is what ends up justifying the conduct. So the court said, no, it has to be objectively reasonable. This is the realm of justification. It's not excused. It's not like insanity. However, this is what's most tricky is mm-hmm. that the court said that in spite of the fact that the standard is an objective one, we are allowed to take into account certain objective features of the actor of the circumstances and of the past. Mm-hmm. So we are allowed, generally, I guess I I like to explain this in the way that we're typically allowed to take into account features of uh, what we can call like physical features, right? So if someone is of a slight build and 90 pounds, uh, weighs 90 pounds, you know, four feet eleven. Versus someone who's six foot five, three hundred pounds, and a pro NFL defensive tackle, we it, it, it is permissible under an objective standard of reasonableness for, for in the context of self-defense to take into account mm-hmm. the different uh, physical features of, of 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 the assailant and the person who's defending herself.
0: So, right. So, if, go- if a football player is attacking a four foot two person, it will be a reasonable mm-hmm. four foot two person. Being attacked by a football
1: player, right? Okay. Thank you. Correct. Correct. So, exactly, exactly. And, 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 and therefore, this is what I call the, the the problem when I teach this in class. I call this the problem of how, how much are we allowed to subjectify the reasonableness standard Mm -hmm. without losing, you know, the, 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 the the basic objectivity of, of the concept of reasonableness, right? When we talk about reasonableness in any context, whether it's tort law or criminal law, it's, you're being, measured against an external standard. Mm-hmm. It's not your own standard, it's a societal standard, right? And, and we make certain concessions for 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 certain features of the actor or the circumstances, but at some point we muster the line and mm-hmm. say, we stop here. Because if we keep incorporating subjective features, it's no longer a societal judgment. It's basically an individual judgment, and and that's incompatible with the nature of justification, which is a societal judgment of of right and wrong, not an individual judgment based on the quirkiness sort or of idiosyncratic nature of of, of 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 the of the defendant.
0: makes sense. Makes sense. All yeah. right. Thank you. Great.
1: The other big element uh, is is imminence. Okay. Uh, oh yes, so, imminence.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Important. Right. Okay. You remember yeah. the the yeah. Norman <laughs> It's case. all coming back, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So so basically here. Uh, in order for for a force pursuant to self defense to be justified, it must be force that is uh, used in response to what the law would describe as an imminent attack. Okay, and uh, I think the best the best case for illustrating this is the Judy Horman case, and that's if you recall, it's a case of the of, of Judy Harmon who kills her husband while he's sleeping. Yeah. So, so, so then Judy Norman shoots her husband while he's sleeping and there's a history of abuse. I think it's like a more 20 year plus history of abuse, Mm -hmm. husband beating up wife and, and the abuse is getting like really, really bad in, in the weeks preceding the killing. Uh, the husband inflicts serious bodily injury on, on, on the wife and makes the wife eat dog food, dog, does all sorts of like horrible things. And she feels that the attacks are, are, are going, uh, in the wrong direction. The violence is, 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 is going in crescendo and, uh, that if she doesn't act, She's going to, she's going to be killed. And, uh, but, you know, the, the obvious question that people have is then why doesn't she leave, right? As opposed to killing right. him while he's sleeping.
0: So this is in the, the late 80s, right?
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. Late 80s.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: so, so yeah. So, so
1: then, so then the question is why doesn't Judy Norman leave? And for that, there's an answer. You know, the answer is, well, there's a couple of answers. One of the one of the potential answers is she didn't go to school, didn't have any formal education, couldn't really find a job. Her husband was forcing her to prostitute herself. Uh, she had several kids, didn't have a way of providing for them without her husband. She went to certain uh, to several uh, public, you know, welfare offices in in, in, in her region and they denied her uh any any help and and her husband was following her anyway and actually dragged her out of one of the interviews so she felt like she couldn't leave uh, her children behind with her husband and she couldn't take her children because she she didn't really have a way of providing for them and uh and and that's why she stayed and on the other hand there were also experts who claimed that she suffered from battered woman syndrome and one of the Uh, symptoms of Batter Woman Syndrome is what, what the experts called learned helplessness, which is that you, you feel that you're helpless to deal with a situation that you're facing and therefore you don't leave. Uh, although you perhaps, you know, for someone not suffering from Batter Woman Syndrome would leave, but because of your syndrome, you, you feel that you can't. Mm Uh, so anyway, so, so Judy Norman ends up killing him while he's sleeping and she claims self-defense long story short the supreme court of north carolina says no you can't claim self-defense because there's no imminent attack and no reasonable person could believe that someone who's sleeping is imminently uh threatening your life so basically you know when i explain this in class i say imminence means here and now right? it means that someone's attacking me here not in china Right. Uh, and, and that someone's attacking me now, not tomorrow, and not an hour from now. Mm-hmm. And typically, we require imminence because we assume that if the attack is not imminent, that is, if the person who's supposed to stab you is still in China, or, or if they're supposed to stab you tomorrow, right. you still have recourse to authorities. You can call the police. You know, you can take measures to protect yourself. You don't need to take the you don't have so that's the imminence requirement, and 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 let me just briefly say that uh, that the Judy Arman case has been very controversial. Many scholars and many feminist uh, uh, scholars, in particular, believe that Judy Arman ought to have been able to plead self-defense, and and therefore that there's something fishy with the imminence requirement. Because, well, it's while it's true that the husband may not have been threatening her at that time, it seems to perhaps you know it's possible to claim that that someone like Juding Arman if she waits until he wakes up and goes in a rage and attacks her, she has no shot. Right? Right. She, she she really won't be able to beat him on a one-to-one confrontation. So we're putting her in an impossible situation. So for in, in part for reasons like this, some scholars suggest that it's better to go the model penal code route. The model penal code actually eliminates the imminence requirement and instead substitutes it with what they call, or what I would call, I guess, the immediately necessary requirement and pursuant to this requirement the model penal code says that the use of force in self-defense is justified if it is and i quote immediately necessary to prevent a wrongful attack ah, uh, yeah and this is subtle but mm-hmm. it's not it's, it's it's more the standard gives more leeway than imminence right so so sometimes it may be necessary to use force now as opposed to waiting a little bit right. because now is the best time to use force. So 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 what this standard does is it relaxes the imminence requirement, perhaps someone like Judy Norman to claim maybe the attack wasn't imminent, meaning here and now. Mm-hmm. But actually using force in self defense now was immediately necessary. Because had I not done this, I I would have been killed instead. Right? So yeah, so I guess that's, that more or less gives you a bird's eye view of the admittance requirement. All
0: right, so that makes sense. So so that's interesting. So so if you were to give a law school exam with a self-defense issue, so let's say that a hypothetical might be, I don't know, what would, I'll ask you, what would be a good exam hypothetical for self-defense and how might you recommend someone answer it?
1: I think that a case like Judy Norman is, is really something based on, on 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 a Judy Norman scenario is good where you have someone who kills another person in what I call a non-confrontational situation. Mm-hmm. Like there's no there's no actual confrontation at the time, uh, like when Judy Norman kills husband, husband is sleeping, no confrontation. Say a, a fact pattern similar to that one. Mm-hmm. And then I would ask two separate questions. I can ask a question about uh, so let, let, let's say I, I perhaps I describe the defendant as someone who suffers from, you know, delusions or mm-hmm. paranoid schizophrenia or something like that, mm-hmm. and then the defendant kills the person while the person is sleeping or is otherwise not paying attention or what have you, or you know, uh, giving her back to the defendant, and then I may ask whether, for example, under the standard common law approach the killing would be justified, the answer would be no because there's no imminence. Then I may ask, you know, would this be justified under the model penal code or what would be the best argument to justify under the model penal code? There you would say, well, the model penal code abandons imminence and instead requires immediate necessity. That may be easier to satisfy in this case, and the student would explain why it would be satisfied. And I could also then, you know, uh, uh, make the student discuss uh the nature of reasonableness objective right. or subjective right so right. i could say the defendant defendant claimed that you know that evidence of paranoid schizophrenia uh ought to be admissible to for the reasonableness of the belief and the answer would be no right that's that uh, those sort of like subjective uh quirks or idiosyncrasies of the defendant having to do with mental illness are 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 typically not admissible uh to prove the reasonableness of, of the belief see people versus cats. Yeah. so right. Right.
0: Uh, I would do something like that. Oh, so all right. So, so on an exam, then it sounds to me like what you're saying. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is that if you see a question that raises self-defense, well, first, and we talked about this at the beginning of our podcast, we want to make sure that the defendant actually did the the act, right? Because if they didn't need to do the act, they may not need the defense. So, assuming right. they actually right. did do the killing, then there's two questions. The first question not necessarily in this order is whether it was imminent and the imminency question is going to depend on whether you're going common law route, which is imminence or model penal code route, which is
1: immediately necessary. Which is
0: immediately necessary. And then the second Mm -hmm. question is going to be reasonableness. And the issue is going to be whether it was objectively reasonable. Right. Um, Right. Which is really how most jurisdictions look at it, which is from an objective standpoint. Um, All right. Good. That's great. That's great. I think that's a great analytical framework. Um, all right. Anything okay. else you want to add about um, self-defense or justification? Well, just
1: yeah. So, just very briefly, uh, the, the the other issue in self-defense that's uh, that's usually not a problem, but it may arise, has to do with with proportionality requirements. It's typically not not discussed. In the literature, in the case law of proportionality, but but there's an issue. For example, when you when you use force to protect property, like okay. how much force are you are you allowed to use to protect property as opposed to yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, so so, I,
0: so when you're talking about proportionality, you're talking about the proportionate amount of force in relation to what's being threatened to you or your property, correct? correct. Okay, correct, yeah. okay, correct, yeah.
1: correct. Okay. So when your life is being threatened or your bodily integrity, you can use any amount of force, including lethal force. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when your property is being threatened, courts or statutes tend to impose proportionality limits on the amount of force that you can use to prevent the attack on your property. So it's typically... Typically held that you can't kill to protect property, right? Okay. So, so, I, so I, I tend to look at that through the lens of proportionality. The use of force is disproportionate. We simply value life too much to allow people to kill others in order to protect property. Okay. Uh, so, so that's one aspect of. of Self defense or defense of property that, that you may find on some exams. And in particular, there's this kind of cases having to do with like mechanical devices. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, having installing a trap gun in your property so that when someone opens the door, right. they get shot. You know, they, they when someone breaks in, they get shot by, mm-hmm. by the trap gun. And mm-hmm. and and for example, the, the general opinion, both in the case law and the model penal code, is that it's unlawful to do this. And it's unlawful to do this because uh, you don't know who the person who's gonna be coming in to, <laughs> breaking into your, to your apartment, what they're doing. You know, is, is right. it a, a firefighter because there's a fire? Right. Or is it a police officer because someone called? Or is it just a kid who wants to steal like some stamps or baseball cards, right? In which case, yeah, I mean, that's an attack on your property, but as I just said, you're typically not allowed to use lethal force and obviously a trap gun. Uh, uh, is the equivalent of lethal force. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there's that interesting line of cases that's, that's often not studied, but that I think is, is, is of some importance having to do with, with protecting property and the amount of force that you can use. And again, general rule, you cannot use lethal force to protect property. Okay. So you cannot yeah.
0: use lethal force to protect property.
1: Yeah, that's exactly. the general rule. Now, mm-hmm. by the way, there's some, some recent statutes. So students have to be, uh, cognizant of this. Some recent statutes that allow you, to you lethal force, for example, to protect habitation, right? Okay. So look, these, this, these so-called make my, make my day statutes. Mm-hmm. I think there's some in Texas and Colorado that they state that any sort of penetration on your, on your, on your abode, on your house any sort of illegal entry justifies using lethal force regardless of what the intent of the person you know entering your property is. Uh, so these are statutes that are sprinkled throughout uh, America and students mm-hmm. need to be aware of those. Uh, mm-hmm. This is not the standard you know rule right the Standard rule is you can't use lethal force to protect property. but you know pursuant to some more modern statutes, this changes the, the balance a little bit. So I think students should be generally aware of their existence.
0: Great. Okay. And that makes sense. And you're talking about defending property. So like if I'm in my property and they walk into my home, technically I'm not defending my property. I'm defending myself. Right. So that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure. Okay. Great. 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 Well, Luis, it has just been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so, so much. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you, Leslie. It's great speaking with you too.
0: So that's my discussion with Professor Luis Chiesa on justification and self-defense. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to www.bensound.com for the music. Reminder, you can always reach us at laudafact at gmail.com or tweet us at laudafact. And if you're feeling inspired, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the apps on which you listen to our podcasts. Thanks so much. Enjoy your day.